0: Essentially, we go from pushes to holds to the quasi isometrics, which are the switches and the catches. But there's some little nuances around each of them. We can have a push, which is the maximal pushing effort. Or I've called it a grinding effort before, where you've got um, as much time as you want to produce high force outputs. And then you've got a ballistic iso push. <laughs>
1: to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So this week we have the long-awaited return of Alex Natera on the Pacey Performance Podcast. So Alex has become very well known for his work in isometric strength training and run-specific isometric strength training. So it is that topic that we start with and continue with all the way through this episode. So we talk about progressions from pushing to holding, then into the quasi-isometrics with the catches and the switches. So we we go through the whole spectrum, then we dive into where run-specific isometrics can be used with youth athletes in a long-term athletic development model, but also with rehab athletes, with tendinopathic athletes. So if you're interested in isometric strength training, firstly, this podcast is for you. And secondly, Alex and I have teamed up on an isometric strength training online course. So if you head over to Sportsmith.co. All the information is there. There's a link right at the top to the landing page which tells you more about the course, which we have a little dive into during this episode as well. But if you're into your isometric strength training, whether you're a physio, strength coach, sports scientist, rehabber, have a little look at the landing page on sportsmith.co because we're both super proud of it and we'd love you to be involved. Have you tried Hydro? the wearable blood flow restriction solution that is unlocking better recovery in athletes. While many have used BFR for rehab, Hytro are demonstrating the huge impact BFR can have on recovery and performance when used for post-exercise recovery. Through their innovative design, BFR straps are integrated into shorts and t-shirts, allowing BFR to be delivered to groups of athletes safely and more conveniently than ever before. Check them out at Hytro.com or email warren at Hytro.com to find out how Hytro can give your athletes a competitive edge. Smarterbase from Fusion Sport is the premier human performance optimization platform for elite sports teams and military organizations. Built on infinitely configurable framework, Smarterbase is the most flexible software on the market. Create an adaptable solution to support your unique strategy, process and culture for a fraction of the cost and time it takes to build your own. Centralise your performance and health data by easily integrating with other tech and data systems using Smarterbases, robust API and custom built connectors. Improve performance and reduce injury by enabling better communication and decision making with role based access, custom workflows, mobile apps and personalised visual dashboards. And with the Smarterbase success guarantee, you can be confident in your human performance solution and the people who stand behind it. Visit FusionSport.com forward slash SmarterBase to learn how SmarterBase can help you improve athlete performance and service member combat readiness. Also sponsoring this episode is Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organisations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April, 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK Lab of the Year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen luffbra. so without further ado over to the episode with Alex. Alex DeTaro welcome to the pacing performance podcast for a third time. Yeah I think it is
0: I actually think it might be
1: a fourth actually but let's see we'll find out. Fourth because we did the, the first one was a two-parter. Ah uh, yes 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 that's right. Is that right? Yeah.
0: Oh, no, there's another two-parter. Clearly, I'm, I talk too much because I think there was the, the last one we did was a two-parter as well. So, I'll, I'll try not to talk too much this time, though. But thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. The,
1: my pleasure. My pleasure. It's um, It must, yeah, like I say, time must have run away with me because um, if it is the fourth, happy days. But I had one of your colleagues on recently, Simon Harrys. Absolute smash day. Oh, awesome. Is that out yet? Yes. That's not okay. out yet. No. It'll be out, out in a couple of weeks, but he absolutely nailed it, and you got a nice little mention as well. Oh, did I? What, you, you I'll, did. Have, to, you I'll did. have to transfer and... that money now then. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that he mentioned was isometrics, because you have become the isometric, whether you like it or not, I don't, and I don't know how you feel about this, whether you like it or not, you have become the isometric strength training man, guy person
0: <laughs> and he mentioned it too okay good well, yeah you would have seen some of it um at giants and then also here at Swiss so you would definitely um have seen it in practice um yeah I, you know what uh, to be honest it, i think it's yourself to blame on that one why i have be, potentially become that sort of um that figure i think it you were the first one to extract it from me um right back when was it 2015 or something i believe our first podcast and i'm um, uh obviously I haven't listened to that for a very, very long time, but um for sure within that podcast you then came out and asked around some specific stuff I was doing for running. And um I would have commented then on isometric because so that was the first thing because I and I know that was you, because off the back of that came, you know, Joel Smith. Um there was another podcast out at the time, which I think is closed down. And there was all these requests to discuss this isometric training I was doing for running off the back of that. And that's what just made it what which you get have a couple of podcasts, especially especially your podcast. It just goes it, um yeah it goes like wildfire, so I guess it's spread out from then to be honest, so yeah, thanks to you, i guess for the for it to to become that way. um look, I still don't classify myself as an expert um I use it a lot, and from a coaching perspective, um you know I've dabbled enough to be able to help and um advise a little bit um but there's there's some great you know. There's other big hitters out there who are well trenched and research it regularly, like Danny Lum, for example, um, do their PhD on it. And there's lots of other people doing their PhDs off the back of it, too, which is really going to be exciting. But it's, um, although I've been around for a long time, there's still a lot left unknown. So I can tell you in 10 years' time, we're going to know a hell of a lot more than we do about isometrics now. So it's exciting.
1: And one thing that's just as exciting is the fact that we have teamed up. For an isometric strength training course, which is what we will kind of tease and and dive into a little bit in this podcast, hopefully for the next hour or so. Um, but we had the pleasure of, of of obviously working together to create that course, but but dragging in some experts as well, which Danny Lum been one of them. So yeah, that was. It's been an interesting experience. Very <laughs> well from my side. It's been an interesting experience. Not quite sure what it's been from your side, but a super interesting experience to to get this course up and running. And I know that, and I'm not just saying this. And people will think that I am just saying this, but I'm super proud of the outcome. And I think it'll be. Um, I think it'll be great for for people that jump on, which is, and it starts Monday, the 25th of April, 2022. So yeah, it's been a pleasure to collaborate with you, mate.
0: Yeah, it's been good fun. Uh, and I appreciate it. Um, uh, again, you, you drew it out initially and you've drawn it out now in a far more usable friendly manner. Probably to be honest, what we've done on this course and the content we put out is, is more than anything that's been out there from whatever webinars or courses or things I've run in the past. Um, even workshops I've run with different franchises. This is far more, um, I guess, holistic in nature, covering everything isometric strength training and going right into the really nitty gritty detail of run specific isometrics and um, essentially how to really put programs together, contextually look at you know different sporting arenas and, and the way the periodized plan works and the weekly layout works and actually making the program from scratch so it should be good fun it was uh, it was a lot of work it was it was a uh, difficult and a really busy time for me, but um, I couldn't be more proud of how it's ended up and actually doing this with you rather than um, potentially some other offers that I might have had. I think this was the the, the main one I wanted to get um, and, and partner with you on. So I'm really proud of it as well.
1: Yeah, it's very kind of you. So in the course, in the first part of the course, you dive into your introduction to isometrics and we've, we've had a little bit of a chat there about your intro to isometrics. But who were some of the early influences? You mentioned Hettinger a lot. A lot in the course and his influence on you but what other influences have there been to, to develop your your love for isometrics
0: yeah oh gosh it's a love now now that's that's a worry <laughs> uh, no no fair play fair play i do there is uh there's definitely uh, there's a reason why you, you start to love something but i should probably make it clear too that i i use a variety of different training stimuli and and isometrics is just one one part it just seems to be one that answers a lot of questions, especially for running-based athletes and um, and uh, some of the other cohorts of athletes no doubt we'll touch on as we go through. But <clears throat> what was interesting is isometric has been around for a very, very long time, for, for thousands of years, but it wasn't influences clearly thousands of years ago or reports from that or even the latter stages of the 1800s where a guy named Alex Anakin probably brought this into to life in the mainstream a little bit more. And then the reports of Alexander, yet yeah, Zass and Charles Atlas, these early 1900s powerlifters and so on. But it was the research that was done around the 1950s by Muller and Hedinger, or Hedinger and Muller, I think is the right order when they, um, when they put the authorship down on their papers. That was real seminal isometric work that brought isometrics into the research. Um, I wasn't born in 1950s, although sometimes I feel it, particularly with my knees. But um, And I wasn't actually aware of Hedinger's work. So I wasn't aware of any of this until I started dabbling in isometrics um, myself. And um, look, I started dabbling in isometrics as a young martial artist. And that was just off the back of a guy um, really popular in the isometric world named Bob Hoffman. All Americans would be very aware of Bob Hoffman. And Um, from York Barbell and his strategies. He released a a bunch of books uh, and an isometric racking system. Um, He had all of his athletes doing isometrics at some stage and it was reported that that was why they were successful from isometrics and then it got a bad name off the back of it when a whole heap of performance-enhancing drugs came through that squad and there was uh, regular doping and so on with a doctor within the squad and so on. So it all got tarnished a bit, but off the back of that, you know, there was a lot of martial artists using isometrics. And so I remember as a young kid, that was our form of resistance training, isometric training. Um, simple as, you know, pushing your hands together to create maximal forces as hard as you could to, to pushing against immovable objects and stuff. So I was doing that as a kid. Um, and... um Typically, you know, you do that and you think that's the reason why you're stronger than all your mates at, at school and you throw them around or whatever. And you go, ah, oh, it's because of my, isom-. but you know, there's probably multiple factors going in there, like early maturation and other things that come into it as well. But, but no doubt that was my first experience with isometrics and it was used quite commonly through this traditional form of karate that I was doing at the time. And, um, I guess then moving through uh, my sporting career, I was played in the front row in rugby union as a hooker and, um, I realised that there was positions in a scrum that really required isometric strength. And although I could squat well for for, for a squad and um, um, and potentially across a division, you know, would be one of the stronger ones there, I could still struggle in the scrum um, to hold my own a little bit. And so I was doing isometric strength training then as a young player as well. So they were my, I guess, um, first, you know, first uh, ways of sort of trying and playing around with the, the type of training. And then it pretty much disappeared out of my training vocabulary for years and years and years. And it wasn't until um, a problem, and I've, I've mentioned this before many times, but the problem was in the performance world. And it was, it was literally a, an athlete that had just won a silver medal in Beijing <clears throat> um, with very, very kind of rudimentary based strength and conditioning work and her, her boss or a boss or coach was very adamant that she needed to prove her, her running. Um, and so <clears throat> it was brought to me that I needed to do it somehow from an S&C perspective. Um, yet I had the battle of trying to convince a, a, a silver medalist that she needed to do strength work to improve her, you know, reactive ability, her stiffness qualities in running. Um, which was no mean feat and so that's where it all sort of came to fruition then um, an article that had come out not not too long beforehand to to understand the effect that isometric strength training plant flexion, isometric plant flexion had on on um, elite runners that came in and um, and just a hunch really more than anything you know the, the big the big thought process there was that running was an eccentric motion you know there was um, compression of the system and that was eccentric muscle lengthening um, and then you'd store elastic energy and and ping back up into flight but it didn't seem to me a that we had the time to lengthen and and that you know whether that was a a great metabolic um, way of utilizing tendons and so I just had a bit of a hunch too that potentially isometrics in really specific positions would have an effect and so that's what we went down and I think I um Famously told the the athlete that, you know, I promise you that you won't lift a weight ever as long as you come down to the gym and in 20 minutes you'll be out and I promise you won't lift a thing. So she was wrapped with that and she came down and she didn't lift a thing. And, you know, 16 weeks later, all the assessments we gave her and so on, clearly the, you know, running kinematics and kinetics had changed significantly and and she had become a better runner and as to, the, to this day is a much better runner. And she's already a, an established athlete. So, um that was my first initiation into it. And, um, and from there, it, it grew um, and it grew into a bit of a beast because, as a coach, we, you know, if you're an inquisitive coach, you'll, you'll always be looking at the numbers that come out of the back of it. You'll see problems that arise that uh, maybe an exercise did or didn't do for another athlete. And so you'll start working through how can you make this exercise better so whether it's a plyometric continuum or whether it's a way you might do your your, your back squat continuum whether you might use boxes bands and um, pin loaded squats later on whatever it is it was no different with the isometric work so it started with a single leg mid-thigh pull um, and then it it grew into a bit of a beast where we would focus on ankle focus on knee and have isometrics focused on hips and we'd move through um, almost different stimuli really from maximal force stimuli through to reactive type stimuli and um, and that's where it is today where you've got a, a, a bit of a choice depending on, on what sort of outcomes you're wanting to achieve or what sort of stimulus you're wanting to apply to the system.
1: We'll dive into some of the training of the hip, knee and ankle in a little bit as well as the, the programming of that for various different populations. But I think one thing that is often misunderstood or there's some sort of confusion that's around assessment and how them numbers are actually used to to program off the back of it and even just in the last 24 hours we'd put or you put a a post out uh, about the course with with um with some examples and a little bit of a a voiceover of, of you during the course and i think you'd said something about um various times three times body weight for a certain exercise and you mentioned a percentage and then there was a question off the back of that what do you mean by that percentage because and that's around i think that starts around the assessment piece so would you be able to piece together that assessment set up that assessment um what that assessment assessment looks like to be able to set the foundations to move forward with isometrics
0: yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and it's always it's always worrying when you post stuff and you don't have enough time to, you know, um, give the full context. But um, I could I could exaggerate a lie and say, oh, that was purposely placed in there as so someone would ask a question, and it, it wasn't though. But but certainly, of course, in the course we cover all of that in in, in some detail. But um, look to to try and give you a brief synopsis of those three joints and how we measure them um, isometrically. If we start at the ankle, we always measure this with with the knee extended um, and the forefoot is under the bar, rather than the midfoot, the forefoot, and that's really important. Um, And so with that in mind, you'll have a very slight lean of the body if if your ball of your feet essentially is under the bar. Um, Knee extended and then you position the bar, if you've got an adjustable bar or you position the athlete by jacking them up. to make sure they're in a position where when they take full slack out of the system and actually plantar flex, um, as hard as they can, the, the the knee, the heel hovers at about, you know, at a five degree angle. So it's slightly plantar flexed, but essentially because of the lean forward, it's quite neutral. So it's almost a 90 degree angle, if you like. Um, so that's a setup for the, the ankle, um, with, with the ankle, um, you know, there's at both the ankle and the knee. We look to have, a, if you're doing faster work, so there's two measurements, right? You go your peak force output, which is um, maximal time essentially between three to five seconds, all that effort. Um, and then there's more of a, a, a rate of force development. So a time-specific force output that you're looking for as well, which is done in a completely different test. They're not, they're not the same queuing in that test. With that, we normally take about 5%. Probably giving everything away now, but you take about five percent of body weight for pre-tension to just get a little nice flat pre-tension line, and you look at that live trace on the force plate. When you're happy, you put a cursor where it is, and you hold on that line, and then you cue them three, two, one as fast as you can, as quick as you can produce force, and that's when you get your your um your time-specific force measure. Um. Uh, what I was going to tell you about the ankle uh, that's pretty much it the reason why your knees extended is to try and minimize any leg extension or knee extension uh, force um, and you just cue lift your heel as hard as you can um, so basically calf raise um,
1: your one leg um, so that's uh, that's the ankle uh, I'm going to dive in up- Alex sorry before we get, before we get into the knee before getting into the knee and hip so this is older on the force plate yep what is the classic question, what if I'm in a facility that doesn't have a force plate? I'm an individual coach working in individual athletes. I can't afford a force plate. What other options have people got?
0: Yeah, with the we've actually had a look at this one. So if you don't have the force plate, for example, um, and again, we've got a nice clip of this in um, in the course, but you have a, a bar, a heavy bar, and you put it on your pins. And so if it's a calf or a knee, so I'd say it's calf or we're st- or still at the calf or ankle. Um, you go into on a box as normal or even off straight off the floor is absolutely fine as well um, just bear in mind that you're going to need a little bit of a lean forward so it's often advised to to just go on a small sort of plate if you like to just get your heel off the ground slightly and you you literally plan a flex if you move the bar the bar comes off of the stoppers then you know that's not your maximal isometric force because you've been able to move it concentrically so you put more weight on the bar you go again, put more weight in the bar. You go again until you can't move it, and then you've got your isometric, um, essentially your maximal isometric force, but uh, already converted to it a kilogram load. <clears throat> and we've done this with the force plates and with weight, and and found that's a pretty pretty good estimate. So you can get pretty close um, by just doing it with a free bar in that sort of setup. Same thing with the knee, knee side of things too.
1: I interrupted there. Do you want to go on? Do you want to go on the knee and the hip? Briefly on the assessment side, yeah?
0: Yeah, knee and so everything, everything from now on, the knee and the hip, is based around the mid-stance position of running. Um, arguably so is the ankle, at least, you know, getting close to it. Um, nothing's ever perfect, but we're trying to get there. So what we do, all of these angles are interchangeable, really, with knee and hip. So the knee, 140 to 145 degree knee angle, and we measure that out when we're actually using this as an assessment. Uh, The hips are between 160 to 165 degree, um, and the trunk is around 10 to 15 degrees. Now, that would be upright in a racking system, those sort of measurements, and then also lying um, supine between sort of two boxes or benches um, in that regard, those same sort of knee angles. Now, with the knee iso push, again, imo- an immovable bar, whether that's in a racking system as such, like a, an isometric testing rig, or whether that's an immovable bar with your force plates underneath you, um, you know, two degrees shoulders stacked above um, above ankles, and you're pushing as hard as you can into the bar. Same sort of things um, with the knee iso push. Um, assessment we're looking again for the time specific force we're looking again at that five percent body weight uh, before we um, before we uh cue as fast and and as hard as possible um and then with the hip isometric push we just take about 2.5 it's much lower system mass being held and so it's about 2.5 percent of body or system mass that we hold on the line the cursor before we then also engage in the in the faster outputs then. Um, I can tell you really, really fast explosive people in a knee ISO push will get up to 0.75, so three quarters of their peak values. Um, they're the really fast sort of RFD focused athletes, sprinters and so on. Um, Less explosive athletes will be around 60% of their max force. So they might have a nice huge max force of you know, five times body weight, but they'll only be able to get 60% of the weight there in um, 100 milliseconds. I should I should stipulate that too. So that's, that's the number that we use as a time-specific force measure.
1: Would you ever do any sort of assessments in very specific positions? For example, um, like a deep flex position for... I don't know, cyclists, for example, and assess that um, specifically for them kind of athletes? Or would you always use these these three type of assessments for ankle, knee, and hip?
0: No, I think you get specific. I think um, based on the sport, I think you get as specific as you can uh, for these assessments. And um, I dare say they'll start showing some some real differences between athletes the more specific you get. So absolutely, yeah. Um, some deeper positions for sure. And if you're a lifter, I mean, look at some of Danny Lum's work um, with lifting, um, doing isometrics for, I mean, powerlifters doing isometrics and, you know, isometric strength training blocks of six weeks and getting better at their traditional lifts. Yeah, blows my mind away. But they are in specific angles. His kayak athletes, again, specific angles doing isometric work and having great carryover to their their actual performance. Or not their actual performance, but their ergometry performance. So on... um. Know, very similar to the skill itself, but not on water, um, controlled on an ergometer. So yeah, definitely. definitely getting specific based on what sport. So this is um, this is very much for upright running. Um, equally, um, some of the acceleration-based work that we play around with, which don't go into great a great deal great deal of detail on the course, but doing you know seated ankle work for your you know more. Um, acceleration based positions where you're closer to a 90 degree angle at foot contact rather than this more upright position that we're witnessing in upright running, obviously. So yeah, getting as specific as you can for your assessments and then also
1: your training. Yeah. The so strain gauges are something that have become more popular uh, because of, because of decreased cost versus a force plate. Where do they fit into this assessment piece if at all?
0: Yeah, they do fit in. Absolutely. Um, that's that's a a great uh, I guess poor man's force plate in a way, and they're really reliable. We've done plenty of of work with our strain gauges versus our the force plates, and seen that they're they're pretty close, you know. So um, you know, they're essentially built off the same sort of thing. Depending on how much tech you go for, if they're um if they're a good strain gauge, that 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 costs a little bit of money, then they're of of a significant quality, and you can be pretty assured that the the measurement is is pretty good. So, um, they fit in as well. Again, if you don't have force plates, you can, you can use those strain gauges, but they're also a great tool because they're so portable. You can bring them around the gym and and do in in any of your exercises that you're doing. So I've, I've had one where we've gone literally from a, a lower body exercise to a push exercise to a pull exercise and done our isometrics where we've just used, you know, different bands or different, um, tie downs, cargo straps to be able to push and pull against or chains even. Um, so they become really useful as well.
1: Let's dive into the training of ankle, knee, and hip, and take us ask you to take us through some of the progressions. Because I mean, we'll, we'll dive into the populations in a sec, but in terms of like a generalised progressions for training the ankle, knee, and hip, where would you where would you start? Because I think this is something and I listened back to our previous chat, and I think it's something that I interjected when you were talking about some of the um, some of the switches and the catches, because people see it on social media and think that looks cool. I'll dive into that with my athlete, my 18-year-old, like, part-time football player. And you're like, whoa, 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 hold hold your horses. Like, don't get too carried away with things because there's a lot of work to do before then. So in terms of training the ankle and the hip, where would people start? Because it's definitely not on that switch and catch end.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not. Um, they're, they're all what I classify as the quasi-isometrics, um, those switches and catches, uh, where – there's essentially some flight of the system, and you're hitting the ground, and you're breaking, and trying to remain stiff and not let the system compress. That's very different from the holding and pushing variants. Um, so it, it could even be well, just one of the best way to explain this. So essentially, we go from pushes to holds to the quasi-isometrics, which are the switches and the catches. But there's some little nuances around each of them. We can have a push which is a maximal pushing effort. I've called it a grinding effort before. I prefer to use maximal nowadays, and you probably find it's only six months old, the different terminology. And I do flip between both, so I do apologise. Um, but an ISO push, a maximal variation of ISO push, where you've got... Um, As much time as you want to produce high force outputs. Then you've got a ballistic ISO push. And again, the terminology here I've been challenged on as well. Um, I've stolen ballistic. I used to call this a push explode variant. But now I've stolen this, I think, um, geez, I think from some Russian manual. Probably not the right thing to mention at the moment. But um, I've stolen that from, from... coaches in the past that have used ballistics. It's not truly ballistic, but it's its what I'm using for now. So a ballistic ISO push, so that's a, a maximal um, speed intent rather than a, a high force output as such. So you've got them and then you go to your holds, and you've got your holds classic with your, with, with your loads, and they range from sort of 65% up to 80%, 85% loading, and that loading is based off your pushing Assessments. So whatever that pushing assessment is as a Newton, you convert to a kilogram, you take body mass off of that and you're left with an external load. And that would be a hundred percent load you apply to the system. If you were to do that, if you were to do that, I can tell you, you're probably only holding holding for 10 seconds and you're probably pushing the risk reward scale far too much. So that's why we take that hundred percent load and take it down to 80 to 85 percent as a max or 60% as the lower level, lower intensity holding variance. So you use that as a holding load, and that's you start bilateral in whatever position, you slowly take one leg off the ground and you hold for a set period of time. And then you go to your, uh, your ballistic holds and your ballistic holds are you start bilateral in your position, you've got tension through the system, and you rapidly and quickly take one leg off of the surface, whether it's a box, if you're in supine, or whether it's the floor or a block, if you're um, you're vertical, doing your ankle and your knees, so that's the ballistic hold. So we've gone from push iso push maximal variant, an iso push uh, explode or ballistic iso push, then we go to a hold variant, an iso hold, then an iso hold ballistic variant, um, and then from there we then move into the quasi isometrics, which are the switches. And we actually have a switch and those, those loadings are, again, they're based on lower loads than the hold. So in this case, we go from 35 to 60% of loading because it's a much more dynamic exercise and we have an impact now that we have to cater for and understand as a huge impact load and impact spike. There's a switch, a normal switch, an adv- um, and then there's an advanced switch. The key difference between the switch and the advanced switch is that there is some system flight time. So there's a, there's a period of time where the body is completely in the air and not touching the surface of the ground, and then we strike the ground. So it's a higher-intensity variant, whereas a normal switch, there'd be a fraction of load share between um, one leg striking and the other leg lifting. It's still an important exercise, um, although a reduced impact loading. And why it's important is we're now starting to get into the realms of actually having a muscle function a little bit more similar to what it might be doing when it's in portions of running gait. So we have the need to develop pretension in the air and then striking the ground effectively to hold positions. And then at the same time, the ability to quickly relax and allow another one to switch and then strike the ground. So it's starting to become a bit more of a coordinative demand as well. So a high intensity variant requiring less load and more coordination and much higher impact forces. And then you move to the catches, where uh, where essentially it's again reduced load again around 25 to 35% loadings. And this time the system goes into flight. So now we've got a couple of factors here. We've got the load you're applying to the system and the displacement in the air before you land, um, which then changes the ball game completely in terms of, I guess, comparing something like an altitude landing, so landing off very high boxes or this, you know, shock training, for example, landing off two-meter boxes and so on, where we're actually shorter displacements, but with the additional load, we're starting to reach those impact forces quite quickly particularly as we're landing on one leg, something that you can't really do from a sort of a one and a half metre, two metre platform, if you like, if you're falling and landing. And there's also research there Then we touch on in the course too. I'm sorry, I'm mentioning it again, but touching the course too around how there's a visual challenge where you naturally reduce your stiffness when you're landing from a height. And that essentially um, is not a concern when you're doing your isometric isometric catch variance. Um, So that, I guess, is the you know, the, the progressional pathway. And I hate calling it a progressional pathway because um, like we established last time we talked, that's people feel um, that that's what they should do because we're wired that way. There's got to be an outcome. There's got to be a finish point I've achieved here and now I need to go to that next step, next step, next step. So I still see today where people are you know, they're bragging to me, hey, look, I've um, been doing it for three months. I'm already on my ISO catches with a load. I'm looking at it and it looks terrible like you, you're now pushing the boundaries of this risk reward, which is supposed to be isometrics, is supposed to be a really low risk alternative. It's supposed to be an alternative that you recover really quickly from. That you get, you know, sensational, oh, I shouldn't say sensational, but significant or substantial um, uh, adaptations from at low cost but now you've just shifted that so far to the right that we're now increasing risk because you just haven't done you know, the basics first. And, and I think I've mentioned this on, on different forums that I've seen an elite, uh, like a really high level hurdler, international base, like world, world athletic champion type of hurdler do nothing from a quasi-isometric standpoint um, over something like three years of iso- run specific isometric strength training. So just pushes and holes and getting better and better and better and better in terms of the actual performance, like significant changes in a one hundred meter sprint time and also one hundred and ten meter hurdle time, but also just the loading going up more and more and more measured on you know crane scales basically and um, and just the absolute loading that she 's able to hold over time and no need to to get into quasi isometrics yet you know, since she has done, but she 's done three years worth of. Two and a half to three years worth of qualifying for that as such, and um, one other thing I, I want to stress is we've already gotten really specific. The fact that you're doing isometric training because the running gait requires some form of isometric muscle action to allow the tendons to to do their beautiful work off of you've already become specific like from comparing a squat to an isometric push, you've become specific and you've got on on one leg and you're being very specific in terms of the muscle action. So you're already there. And then you might get even more specific and use a hold because that's a bit more like running in terms of you're trying to apply a requisite load against gravity and your mass relative to you pushing isometrically, which is a kind of a different muscle action, which I've um, you know, gone into detail with in, in one of your articles on your on your site. So you've gotten specific again. Um, and you're potentially even doing it faster. So you're doing ballistic variants too. So now you're doing these contractions or muscle actions, should I say, more correctly, in 100 milliseconds, just like the contact times in sprinting. So you've addressed so many specificity issues, but then the need is to go all the way to switches and catches as well. So there's no need. You can spend a lot, lot of time on the other ones first. So um, and that's not to say, and that's not to play down the effect isn't effectiveness of ISO switches and ISO catches. They are effective, certainly the ISO switches. But um but yeah, there's 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 a whole spectrum of stuff you can do before you get there.
1: If people are reading isometric training research, they're probably not going to see pushing and holding as as terms that are commonly used. There's other terms that are used which may... I think I already do confuse people. Would you be able to just shed some light on that? I know Danny spoke about that when he came on the podcast as well, but I think reiterating this may help coaches as well.
0: Yeah. Um, so pushing is PIMA and holding is HIMA, holding isometric muscle action. And PIMA is a pushing isometric muscle action. Um, so that's just confused everyone the same, but that's um, they're the scientific, they're the ones that are used more commonly in the research. And then in... You know, coaching manuals, um, strength training discussions and chat, they, they're referred to as an overcoming and a yielding isometric. So overcoming being that pushing isometric where you're trying to move an immovable object and a HIMA or a holding isometric muscle action is a yielding isometric where you're trying to overcome an external force that is essentially trying to push the system down and you're applying the requisite force to hold it stable. And um, yeah, I'd definitely refer um, the listeners to read the article um, on on uh, Sportsmith around um, that. I go into quite a bit of detail around how those two different muscle uh, actions um,
1: differ. So, in part one, we chatted around progressions, the basics of isometric strength training. But in part two, we're going to chat around programming. So, programming for tendinopathic athletes during the rehabilitation process through a long-term athletic development program with youth athletes and various different populations. So a fantastic, in my opinion, fantastic part two coming up with Alex. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website, hawkingdynamics.com, to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. And this episode is also sponsored by OmegaWave. OmegaWave is the only non invasive at rest technology on the market that analyses readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. Using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery in readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. OmegaWave also measures ECG from the V6 position. This data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement takes only 4 minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our Windows of Trainability concept. OmegaWave is used by hundreds of elite sports, military, and law enforcement organizations. OmegaWave are also the official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. Learn more about OmegaWave by visiting their website, omegawave.com, and their social media channels. And now back to the episode with Alex. Right, next 20 minutes ish. We're going to talk about programming because I think that's where people get that's where people get super excited um, when it comes to isometrics. So long-term athletic development. So with either young athletes or less experienced older athletes can f- obviously fit into this long-term athlete development um, program as well. So where do isometrics fit? for these guys. I know Luke Jenkinson came on the podcast. I think you spoke to Luke maybe a few years ago at at Derby County when he was in the Academy. And I think he's doing his doctorate in this area as well with, with, uh, with youth athletes. And he was getting super excited with the exposure that he could give to his youth athletes from a, from an isometric training standpoint. Um, So I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, LTAD and, and where isometrics fit.
0: Yeah, good. Um, so I had some experience for a few years, also working with uh, more youth-based athletes. Um, I was invited—that's where I met Luke, I believe, over in um, in the UK to talk um, with the Performance at the time. I think now the LTAD Network <clears throat> to discuss this. So it's was really specific around you know isometrics. One of my talks was around isometrics for for the developing athlete. So let's let's have a look at what these development athletes are like. So at the moment, you know, what's our thought process? We're trying to develop a movement library with these athletes generally, and we're trying to you know teach them the 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 ways of training. If you like, I sound like Yoda there. The ways of training, Um, and (laughs) we're we're trying to develop certain skills in them, and so on. And we're spending a lot of time with technique and so on. But with these developing athletes, particularly if they're dare I say, higher performing, developing athletes, their sport demands just going whooshka. It's gone from being a little baby, you know, mucking around doing whatever you're doing with sport to really serious training now where they pull from pillar to post, with club demands, school demands, playing multiple sports and so on. And this is just going through the roof. But yet we're busy doing and holes and we're busy You know, squatting overhead with a dowel and we're busy doing all of this sort of stuff, which is all great stuff that needs to be done, but it's not actually solving a problem. And the problem will be the load that's going to go through the roof, the demand that's going to go through the roof in these athletes um, and not having them ready for it. So, so what do we do? We end up going, okay, you get your gung ho guys who just want to push harder. And you see these on Instagram too, where you push those athletes, young athletes and the young developing bodies harder. And we know all the great, great research from Roderick Lloyd and John Oliver. And we know that it's the right thing to do to load athletes up, young athletes up, and, you know, load them up effectively and progressively. But let's be honest, none of us are going to grab a young 14-year-old athlete in who's a soccer player and we're not going to be hitting them um, with substantial loading that's going to make a significant change to what they can tolerate on the paddock and the multiple sessions and so on. Plus, whatever we are giving them, we now have to try and balance it with – the club footy, um, whatever footy there, plus run, running around the playground with his mates, plus, you know, having rubbish recovery and eating rubbish because he has to be at school and just have a ham sandwich rather than the nutrition we might want a young athlete having. And so you've got all these compounding factors And you're not able to give the requisite load an athlete, a young developing athlete actually needs to get better and protect themselves. And that's why isometrics become a really important factor. Two reasons. One, you're going to get more of a stimulus out of your isometric training than you will out of your traditional training for these young developing athletes. As in, they'll be able to hit higher numbers of force outputs than they would in their traditional training. And by default, give more muscular tension and tendon, tendon through the tendons by doing this. So therefore... You know, have a greater stimulus to increase adaptations at that muscle tendon lever to help them. Um, but then on top of that too, you, you're giving them an exercise that requires little skill development. So, so instead of battling away for three or four years to get some higher quality squatting movements, um, bear in mind powerlifters battle with 10 years of developing mastery in the squat. Um, instead of doing that, you're actually just putting them into a uh, a position and just go go as hard as you can and you wouldn't necessarily do that first off you would progress that as well and we go into that again um in the course <clears throat> um how, how we progress that and 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 you do you do apply holding as well and you do all these other uh, other ways of putting a program together for them but again they're getting more load they're doing it with less skill demand um, while they're getting pulled from pillar to post and learning skills and learning tactics from their coaches you don't have this cognitive load on their heads as well they can still do all the exercises as a warm up even a even a cool down at the end of a session but you're never negating the fact that they're getting this high tensile load through soft tissue and also a high neuromuscular output and that's the key and that's why it's so actually so useful in the developing athlete let alone the advanced athlete as well so it works the works the whole spectrum so to speak
1: so at what at what point i mean this is i just want to make sure that we're obviously stating this. I know you would want me to reiterate this. That traditional strength training is is still a continuous part of the young athlete's development. It's not going okay. We're going to bin all that. That's that's that. We don't need that anymore. We'll just drag all this isometric strength training in. This is this is running simultaneously. This is running side by side. As, as always, no matter who we discuss, whether it's the advanced athlete, whether it's the um, the young athlete. Uh, I don't know whether it's uh, various different populations. These are running side by side. It's not an either or. We, don't, we, we do like an either or in our As humans, we like an either or. We like a black or white. But this is this is definitely in the grey. This is mixing the mixing both. Just want to reiterate that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's mixing both. And there's um. <clears throat> uh, we might come onto this in a second, so I won't talk too much about it. But now, but there's ways very very simple ways of keeping both in the program prioritizing one more than the other um but there's only oh actually now it's grown i was going to say there's only a few times where i've completely moved traditional training um but there's there's actually a growing amount of times i have but that's very much based around the athlete not the sport but but the athlete um you couldn't i mean i don't think a, a good program would remove eccentric work a good program wouldn't move depending on the sport wouldn't move plyometric work um or have them in different phases. A good program wouldn't move concentric bias to work. I mean, acceleration is concentric bias. If you accelerate in your sport, then you probably need to be keeping that in in some regard. So all of these components go together. It's just how how we put them together. And this just happens to be one really good um, type of stimulus for for running prowess. And Danny's also just released an article, you know, Perfect Timing, on comparing plyometrics versus isometrics in in running and, and and showing that isometrics and plyometrics both um uh important or, or have the have a positive effect in running performance but with uh running uh with with isometrics having a um more impact in running economy so you know essentially saving yourself some some energy if you like so um so, yeah, there's, they, they exist together. It's just a type of um, type of training, and I think, I think people are disappointed when they come and visit us um, um, and they see a program of mine in the gym, and they're looking and they're seeing that like three-quarters of it is you know, you know, doing some sort of heavy traditional lift and doing some explosive lift and doing the plyometrics, and they go, when's the ISOs? And then they see an ISO. Later on, they go, oh, there's an ankle ISO there, just for you know, whatever, five sets of whatever doing whatever with whatever load, and they go, oh. I just assumed I was just going to see isos everywhere. Um, now, in a different time in a different space with a different athlete, if they look closer, they might see one athlete in a squad of forty-six players doing far more isometric work than anyone else. Um, and it's because they they might have a certain prowess already in that lift. Um, it might be because we're managing their their output, they're managing their their stresses, and therefore getting a different, uh, uh, an easier stress to recover from. Um, and it's probably a point I should point out here too. I hear this a lot and I do have people comment on how neurally taxing isometrics is, right? That's such a blanket statement. Um, neurally taxing isometrics is. It's because the prescription is not correct. So you can prescribe isometrics, like Bob Hoffman prescribes isometrics, 10 second all-out maximal iso push. Then that is hugely effective um, negatively effective to the neuromuscular system uh, and the nervous system. You will fatigue off that. If you're a really twitchy athlete, you know, a a supercharged, you know, high 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 twitch fiber athlete, uh, fast twitch fiber athlete, yeah, you can burn yourself out if you're doing uh, pushing isometrics, multiple reps of five to six seconds. Absolutely, but there's this there's this um, there's this variable that I introduce in the in the course about. It's called repetition duration reserve, and it's about Working out how much you could do for maximal isometric effort or even a 60% effort holding with a certain load, whatever that maximal time is. If you then cut it back to have a bigger reserve based on the durations you're giving someone, you then fatigue less, but you get the same stimulus. Like you don't get the same stimulus, but you get the same outcome. The adaptations are the same. So, you know, we look as low as, you know, 10 to 20% repetition duration reserve. Which essentially means you might have held something for two seconds, but your capacity to hold something might have been ten seconds long. But you've only opted in that two second and relied left yourself ninety, eighty to ninety percent reserve. So therefore you don't fatigue off the back of it. I've digressed here, I'm starting to go different places. I'm sorry. But um, it's just to just to clarify the fact that some people do think it's usually um exhausting to the nervous system. And that's just a blanket, something they've read generally, or they've tried it and they've gone an all-out effort for eight seconds or six seconds or 10 seconds and then not really add much left in the tank after that. So being clever, and I'll, I'll teach you how to do this, to, to prescribe it effectively, to be able to recover quickly off the back of it, still to get a high stimulus to the neuromuscular system to cause a great adaptation off the back of um, So we'll cover that as well. Did I answer that question then, mate? No, yes.
1: Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. One thing I want to pick up on is that that fast fast twitch, um, highly reactive type athlete i know you've mentioned stuff there that we need to be aware of with those guys but is there anything prescription wise that would change for those to to set to, to save them from from self to a certain extent when it comes to isos
0: yeah it's it's that repetition duration reserve again um again that's it's a blanket rule but there's no reason oh look i'll, I'll be honest some people i will do you know Push up, and even in this course, you'll see some um, examples of programs where I've gone and pushed up to that fifty percent repetition duration reserve, sixty percent repetition duration reserve. I push that boat out depending on what time of the year it is in the cycle, and also depending on the athlete itself. So um, there are occasions when I do, but then there's a blanket rule—not um, a rule. I shouldn't say a rule, but there's a blanket, I guess, um, uh, way of doing this type of training to to maximize stimulus and recovery off the back of it. So um, and that, so you'll see like some of my, the holding times that I suggest might only be up to eight seconds, for example, right? So I, I suggest holding times between four to eight seconds. I have 16 to 48 seconds in total duration for a heavy workout. But then there's 30 to 90 seconds of holding for a lighter workout. And though although I've done four to eight seconds, it's, Pretty easy to see that four to eight seconds into 90 seconds means you're doing a hell of a lot of reps. So that's not the case, then that 30 to 90 seconds with lighter loads would mean that, yeah, you might be holding for a 30-second load, like um Keith Barr will talk about as well in his isometrics, you know. So there are avenues where you might change the loading, but in general, the the thought process around run-specific isometrics is high stimulus, rapid fatigue. Uh, rapid, sorry, rapid recovery, high stimulus. Rapid recovery. Do your sporting event. Do it again. Multiple stimuli through the week, and so on. So that's that's the key with it. So again, with these fast twitch guys, keeping right really really strict on your repetition duration reserve um, around that ten to twenty percent mark, and not um, doing excessive volume. So sticking with the prescription um, prescriptions I've I've put down and and highlighted
1: before. One thing in the course that I've actually just gone through recently is the overlaying the various different ways you can overlay traditional strength training within within the program within isometric programming. Would you be able to just give us a few, maybe a few examples of ways that people can do that? Again, not forgetting that this is working side by side with traditional strength training.
0: Yeah uh so one one nice way of looking at this and because people do get scared right and oh so do I like it's a big decision if I'm going to start pulling traditional training out of an athlete's program it's a big decision right um and I only am more and more comfortable doing it because I've seen the results of it um but if you haven't seen the results and you're just relying on some dude down in Australia saying it works then
1: <laughs> <fair play. laughs> you know I, I don't
0: I don't I don't blame you um and, and we become so accustomed to our traditional lifts, it's very hard to let go. Like I think I've said on many a times on your podcast too, I think that I was, I'm a squat man and I still am a squat man. I love a squat. I think you get so much out of a squat. But, hey, we learn, we live, we grow, we change. Ultimately, we're thinking about the athlete and the best outcome for the athlete at the end of the day. So, you know, doesn't matter what we like, uh, it's what works best is, is the most important thing. But there's no reason to actually get rid of them. In fact, if you think about a knee is a push. Um you know, five times as measured on a force plate, a really really high mark without giving out too much away is is a five times body weight isometric push when you look at your your newton's your output, so a hundred kilogram person near enough of five thousand newton output massive um you now if you take body mass off of that it's it 's four thousand newtons so for, you know measured on the force plate you 'll be having your body mass obviously um within that total output so that 's four times body weight load that is essentially going through the spine when you're pushing. So actually warming up to go into a heavy isometric lift, so high actual um, loading of the spine as such, Well, actually doing a good workout on your squat, so a three-by-three, three, like a warm-up set or two, and then actually hitting you know, um, 70%, 80%, maybe even a cheeky single at 90 might actually be a great way to then go into a four-times bodyweight spinal loading. Um, Equally, you know, doing a a ballistic lift, a squat jump, um, um, a a range of different, you know, Olympic lifts, for example, doing that prior to going into a ballistic isometric push or a ballistic isometric hold, actually getting your system to react faster is not a bad way, right, Um, to prepare, or even doing some plyometrics, um, whether it be low amplitude or even some touching on some high-intensity plyometrics before you get into your quasi-isometrics, your switches and your catches. It's actually a really good way to warm up um, before you ex- express or, or um, the system cops that impact loading as such. So, you know, classically, and I think I'll explain this as well, is you might actually come into the gym, do your, your regular prep, and then you might go... Get your squat in or your power lift in, whatever it is. Sorry, your um your Olympic lift in. But get your squat in, say a three by three. You might then do your your um your Olympic lift, your cleans or whatever, or your squat jumps, another three by three, and then you might do your plyometrics in whatever order suits you and and is your fancy. You might do your plyometrics, and it might be lighter plyometrics, you know, maybe some skipping for 30 seconds, then you might do some drop jumps, double leg drop jumps, and then some single leg drop jumps. Boom, easy, or some hurdle hops or something. All of a sudden, you've actually kept all your traditional training in, but on small doses. Um, three by three might be too much for, for someone. Um, uh, 30 seconds of skipping and, and 10 contacts might be too much for someone as well. So it depends on your flavor and your athletes. But what you've gone and done is warm them up really effectively for the isometrics that are about to follow, whatever that isometric might be. And then you have a high quality isometrics without fatigue. You've warmed them up effectively and it's, it's a good session in, in, in the end where you've done everything really. Um, so that's one way of doing it. Um, another way is actually complexing your your isometric work. So um, you might uh, have a uh, an isometric push, for example, and then you might do a, a box jump or um, an isometric push to a traditional lift of some sort, um, whether that's a you know a pin loaded squat and so on. So there's there's, other, there's even isometric methods that are functional isometrics where you do have a form of concentric lift into an immovable lift, so into this pushing or overcoming isometric. Um, so Bob Hoffman was the one who seemed to create those ones where you might deadlift off the ground, concentric, you know, traditional lift, and then into pins, pull as hard as you can into the pins, and you get a double whammy, really. You're almost getting a, you're getting a concentric effort into the, into, the, into the pins. You're having a pushing effort, but you're also holding because the bar wants to drop down. It sounds like the most confusing thing for your nervous system, but it seems to be a really, really effective um, form of training. I'm digressing now and talking about other forms of isometrics, but um, Mike Young is another exponent who's, who does that quite um, quite a lot. Maybe even, I want to say, Cal Dietz as well, but there's a few exponents of that type of method. Uh, it's quite fatiguing, though, that one. So that's just, again, that doesn't fit in line with one specific isometrics because this is the difference uh hopefully, in terms of why we're doing one specific isometrics in in particular cohorts where we're again wanting to get that high stimulus with uh, reduced fatigue and ample time to to recover and so on um so yeah, complex is a really good way of doing your isometrics too um. And you can do them both ways: dynamic lift or or traditional lift into the ISO, or you do your ISO into the traditional lift. So it's depending on what. So you got your you got your traditional lift warming up your ISO, or you got your ISO priming your traditional lift. Um, so there's ways of combining it that way. There's other ways where you, they're just literally separate sessions. You have a priority, and it's and it might even be when you get into it. You, you, instead of look, I worked out there's 25 different exercises in the run-specific isometrics. Um, continuum if you like Um, and just in case anyone adds them all up and tries to count there's something i've discussed i haven't discussed but i do discuss it on the course plug plug which is um, a hybrid hybrid exercise which is really quickly here um, because of time i can tell you the hybrid is is simply a switch a push and potentially a hold so three all in one Uh, you need a smith machine to do it but we'll leave that for now um, and just say that there's there's ways of combining the whole program together where you might prioritize, depending on what the the data shows you. If someone is particularly weak based off all the KPIs on their ankle, for example, then you might spend more time as a priority exercise with your ankles, where you might actually do an ankle push, you might do an ankle hold, and you might do some forms of switching as your priority exercise, because that's the weakest link in performance for this particular athlete or injury risk or so on. And then you go into your traditional lifts afterwards. Likewise, you flip it, People do traditional lifts first, but a reduced volume if they're trying to really maximize their isometrics and do their isometrics afterwards if they're high quality. Or sometimes isometrics is literally a, a filler, a auxiliary lift. And that happens a lot. Um, I can tell you with a former squat I've only you know, been working with over a couple of years ago. That was a lot of our isometrics were auxiliary lifts at the end of a program. So we do all our big key lifts and they'd still get relatively good loading in, you know, their hip iso holds or their, their ankle iso pushes or even their switches when we did switches and so on. That just became an, an, an assistance lift rather than the key lifts. Um, anyway, we go through a lot of these. There's plenty of ways to integrate them effectively. But what I would actually say to flip it instead of saying, um, you know, people don't have to remove traditional training. I would say people should be incorporating isometrics as well for, for a host of reasons that I've already explained and is clearly explained in the, in the course as well. But they're around this, this stimulus that causes these great adaptations and then again, off the back of it, this ability to
1: recover quickly. One last thing, Alex, and I don't want to dive too much into it because Keith nails it in his presentation as part of the course. But from a return to play perspective, where does isometrics fit as a as a global theme? And I think obviously no know, know the answer already because it, it fits along the whole the continuum of the, the return to play continuum. But can you give us a bit of an overview of of, of that? Just to, a bit of a, a bit of a um, a teaser for those that are in the rehab space, physiotherapy space, um, trying to incorporate isometrics.
0: Sure. Uh, so I I've been quoted a few times now in saying this: run before you run um and that's the slogan i use very much now when i speak to the medical staff or i speak to physiotherapists and i speak to those in charge of rehab plans and um and i share this great great case study we've got of this achilles um rehab um you know a complete rupture of an achilles and we got this guy back within a season to play in the finals um in footy but based on the fact that we knew he wouldn't have enough time to load when he started running again. We knew we'd be pushing the boundaries. We were such a key player that we would only be able to have him play a reserve grade game, maybe have one week of training before that, play a reserve grade game, and then taper into this first game, which was in the finals. And the only reason why we're able to do that is because we ran him before he ran. And when I say run before you run, I'm referring to run specific isometrics. So the demands, the very specific demands of run specific isometrics, exposing them gradually and consistently all the way through the rehab process from literally out of operation surgery through to ready to run, Um, actually running outside, exposing them all the way progressively and safely um and this time it's the whole continuum it's not this chat i was saying before where i was saying stay with pushes and holds because you can go forever well you can't do that if you run before you run you have to go into your quasis and your catches potentially you can go to advanced switches and hold there right hold i shouldn't use hold and switches together there and you can go to ISS switches and, and stop there with this out and this with, this with this particular footy player i say aussie rules player um, Australian football player, that's what we did. And we went to switches and, and, and that's the key concept. It's exposing them to everything and these forces that are exactly the same as running forces in terms of magnitude and rate, um, exposing them all the way through. So then when they do start running, they literally hit the ground running and they just don't bounce back. So we've done that, um, ever since. So if you're working with a running based athlete and you're a medical provider, physiotherapist, rehab specialist, and so on, then actually utilising these concepts to assist in the return to play, return to perform um, avenues is absolutely crucial in my opinion. And I'm not just selling that, but that is one, if if anything, if anything, that would be the biggest seller for me. If I was going to say, do this 100%, if you don't want to do an LTAD, up to you, I've I've argued to the point there. If you don't want to do it for elite performance athletes or running-based athletes, up to you Um, you should be doing this for older athletes. I'm one of them, and it, and it, and it works for me for sure. Um, I wasn't running for probably three or four years. I couldn't run. Literally, couldn't run. I'm, I'm running now um, most days of the week. <clears throat> but for sure, in the rehab setting, this is. It wasn't made for it, but this is really, really important to do. Hope I didn't awesome. just come across like a hardcore salesperson there. Apologies. No, no, no. Absolutely not. Absolutely
1: she not. Really We've I generally care, and
0: I know this works in that setting for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no, no, absolutely, mate. We've we've ticked over the hour, so I'm going to let you shoot because I know you've had a long day. But thank you very much for coming on again. Where can people find out more about more about you and your work? Uh,
0: It'd be, I think, Instagram's the one that I've decided I've I've, I post more regularly on there. Um, So I think it's Instagram, and it's uh, look, but Twitter and Instagram either or. And there's a mixture of either my name dot or my name underscore. So it's Alex dot Natera or Alex underscore Natera. I think the underscore
1: is Twitter
0: and the dot is uh, Instagram.
1: I think. Cool. Very good. Very good. And I'll put links to the course and everything that all the stuff that we've mentioned. On, on the website and on iTunes and Spotify and all that kind of stuff. So there, there are plenty of links for uh, people to catch up and have a little dig deeper into uh, into the course itself. But thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to speak to you. And uh, have a good evening and we'll speak soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, Rob. Thanks, buddy. Tuned tune in to episode 392 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So big thanks to Alex for giving up his time and chatting all things isometrics. And if you want to learn more, head over to sportsmith.co and you can see the link to the isometric strength Train landing page, which will tell you everything about the course. So big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, Fusion Sport, Hydro, Omega Wave and Play for sponsoring this episode today the podcast could not run its current form without these guys so i always do appreciate their constant support so thanks for tuning in and look forward to chatting to you soon